my part. Hey, happy Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, and all that good stuff. Um, I don't know about y'all, but the Negro hostess treated me very well. Um, I can't answer the phone right now. Um, and no new episode of the Miseducation of the People, because I'm practicing my powers. You know, I always knew I had hot fire bars, but I didn't know I was going to be out here shooting fireballs like Mario. But here's a little extra credit episode, a special throwback real talk session with Dr. Wendy Osefo. I gotta go. My I set the fire alarm off. Ah. Beats by Pete Samples. Miseducation. Miseducation. New Miseducation. Our upcoming guest. She's an award-winning researcher. Um, Dr. Osefo is one of the influential voices in politics, social justice, and a highly sought-after political commentator, and strategist. Uh, Dr. Osefo is a professor of education at the John Hopkins University in Maryland. She's also a contributor at The Hill. She is the founder of, and CEO of the 1954 Equity Project, LLC. <laughs> she also has provided commentary and analysis for Fox Business, Risk and Reward, Fox and Friends, TV One's News One Now with Roland Martin, and ABC's Armstrong Williams show, just to name a few. If you look her up, her resume series. <laughs> History was made in 2016 when Dr. Osefo was the first black woman to earn a PhD in public affairs, community development from Rutgers University. So y'all clap it up on that, that's good. the 2017 recipient of the John Hopkins Diversity Recognition Award, the 2017 recipient of the John Hopkins Outstanding Graduate Award, uh, a Baltimore Business Journal 40 Under Footer honoree, and a 25 Women to Watch honoree also. So she's big, doing big things, and she will be doing even more big things in the future. So please give a great FU Devils welcome to the phenomenal woman, Dr. Wendy Osuff. Okay, so how's it going to go? We have a series of different questions touching on um, race, gender, leadership, etc. Um, so to start off, can you let the FU crowd know a little bit about who Dr. Wendy Osuff was, your journey, and how you chose your career path? Sure, so that is a great question. But first, how are you guys doing? Her nickname of me is Onwosin. And if you're Igbo, that means 
loosely translated mouth of pepper. Because I can always talk in the young age. So I said, you know what, I'm going to be a lawyer. That did not work out. But <laughs> I went to Temple University, got my bachelor's degree in global science and criminal justice. And I was just fascinated with communities and marginalized populations and how do they work. So from there I said, I really, really would like to be on TV, but how about if I don't make it? And for those people who clap in Nigeria, you already know how parents are like, well, you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor, and maybe something else, but definitely a lawyer and a doctor. So I was like, I'll just go ahead and get my PhD. Who gets their PhD as a default? I do, right? Um, so I was like, I'll get my PhD, but that way I can have a degree that allows me to be a professional in my field. But as I was getting my PhD, I realized that there's so much inequality in our society, especially when it comes to black and brown communities. So how can I be a conduit for change? So I said, I'm going to get my PhD, but I'm also going to speak out on issues that really impact me. I remember while I was getting my PhD, I looked out of my apartment window on Market Street in Philadelphia, and people were marching with their hoodies up, because Trayvon Martin had just been killed. And that movement, the spark of the Black Lives Matter movement, ignited a flame in me that I could not get rid of. I was so ready to get out of school to make a change. So I started giving keynote speeches and talking about issues that affect black and brown communities. Someone heard me and said, hey, would you like to come on TV? I was like, what? Of course I would. So I went on TV and you know the saying goes, once you get one, the rest of them start coming. And so that's just a high level you know, description of how I got to where I am. And then when Donald Trump got elected, the night he got elected, I remember I was watching CNN and the results were coming in state by state. And I was like, this can't be happening. Like each state that came in, I like my stomach fell like one degree. I was like, we are getting closer to Armageddon. And I opened up my laptop and in 10 minutes I penned an article and it was titled, Donald Trump did not win, hatred did. And that article went viral. And that sparked my political commentary, was me really speaking out on what happened in our community. So that's a high level answer as to how I got here. Um, yeah, so that's me. But you did ask, tell me a little bit about myself. I love music, and I love trap music. So, <laughs> so do not let my heels fool you. If you come in my car, you will be like, why did that lady have two car seats in the back blasting Migos? That's me. <laughs> if you ever see someone in a black truck blasting Migos from Party B, be like, oh, that what's up, what's up? I probably can't hear you, my music is so loud, but just know. That's me. <laughs> thank you, thank you. You're welcome. So, your career started from undergrad. Yes. You guys are undergrad, so I think it's important for you to understand the power and the experience you have right now. Mm -hmm. So, can you let us know your biggest lesson that you learned during undergrad? Wow. So, I think, so I'll say this. Being out of undergrad, I will tell you unequivocally. Your undergraduate degree and experience is going to be the best four years of your life. But understand this, you can have fun and still do well academically. That's 
for people, okay? So I'm not just saying that as someone who's like, oh, she's trying to push it. No, 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 no. If you think life is hard now, wait until you graduate. <laughs> this is easy. And I know you guys are like, what? No, trust me. I am that person who's talking to you and saying, no, like, I want you guys to get straight A's because it can be done now. Working and all that other stuff and juggling family, that's hard. And if anyone tells you it's cool not to do well in undergrad, don't listen to them. This lays the foundation for everything. I have friends, and this is what I didn't do in undergrad, I never interned. Make sure you take every intern opportunity you can. Do you want to know why? People would rather hire you to do work for free than pay you to do the same job. It's easier to get an internship than it is to get a job in that same company. So make sure you take that. So the best lesson I learned was actually from my friends, who, and my husband and I talk about this all the time, our friends who are doing well now, and we're like, but weren't we just partying together at the club when we were undergrad, or weren't we just in the cafeteria hanging out? We're like, yeah, but I did my work before I came. And we're like, man, we didn't know that. We thought we were all in this together. <laughs> Great question. So, I think mentorship is important. <clears throat> I 
And often when you think about mentorship, you think of this old wise, you know, somebody that may be like, or this figure that's esoteric in nature, you can't really touch them, but just this mystical figure. Sometimes I get mentorship from my peers. And that's a mentorship that's often overlooked. It's shared experience from people who have experienced other things that you have. But I think mentorship is so important. I always tell my students and people who just reach out to me for advice, your goal is not to have one mentor. Your goal is to build what I call a board of directors. And I have that. So I have someone, if I'm negotiating contracts and it's about money, I can call them because they have experience in that field. I have someone I can call who's a woman in my field if I want to say, is it hard juggling kids and a career? I have someone in my board of directors that I call who is on the grind and hustling just like me when I'm ready to give up. And they're like, no, 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 don't give up, we're all going to do it. So mentorship is not that one person who provides all the information for you. Mentorship is literally a group of people who you can call upon at different stages in your life who will support you. And you should have a mentor at every stage in their own professional career. So have someone who's just starting out so you guys can share war stories. Have someone who probably just made it so they can be a motivation for you to say, you know what, if you keep on going, you'll eventually get there. Have someone who's been there and who's done that, you know? And have someone who has failed a lot of times. People often overlook that. Sometimes people have this thing that says, I will not take advice from someone who's not in a relationship about my relationship. No, no. You need to ask why are they not in a relationship because sometimes that experience will help you because of the mistakes they made. I have an aunt that is divorced and some of my biggest nuggets have been from her as far as what to do in marriage. Don't overlook those people. That's really important. And Something I also was taught was someone told me, um, when we were talking about like singular mentor, who should make up the board of directors, they said the best mentor is someone who no longer has anything to prove. Because they can really just be open and candid with you. Because we're not naive here. Sometimes people might be like, oh, she, this person's a younger version of me, I don't want to surpass my legacy or something like that. But sometimes when people have nothing else and they're good, done that, made my millions, I'm okay. The words in which they will share with you are invaluable. So I would say don't look for one mentor, but as you go through life, take people on that journey with you who will make up your board of directors. Thank you. Um, so you got this part. You out here, you're about to fly on the TV, right? <laughs> so I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure along the way, Failures, right? Yeah. So, can you tell us about your biggest failure and what did you learn from that? Mm. This is a good one. For me, it's good. So, I've had many failures. I feel like I fail often. I fail like on a weekly basis. And that's because I always put so many goals up. But I'll tell you one of the biggest ones that my inner circle still kicks me about, so say. When I got out of college, I had an internship with, at the time, Representative Delabrand from New York. Do you guys know who that is? Yes, some people do. I got a job as an intern, I was living in Baltimore, and she was on Capitol Hill in DC. It was the first day of my internship. I was like, man, I don't feel 
point is but I wasn't sick. <laughs> and I never went to that internship. The next day when I was still sick, your airport was the third day, I never went because I was like, I'm out of college, I want to make money, this is free, I'm traveling, this makes no sense. Fast forward to a year. I get a call, and that time it was my boyfriend, now husband. He said, um, we'll stay with our uh, secondary school students. I said, yeah, her name is Tiana, you know, over. He said, but I'll see you then. And she became the person who took over the Senate seat that Hillary Clinton vacated. And I'm like, oh, man, are you serious? So I emailed <laughs> Yeah. 
And he said the best thing that he has attributed to his success is that he has had the job of everybody in this company. You know what I mean? So it's not that he can't do their job. It's just that the fact that they do it every day, they can do it better than him. And I feel that way with leadership. Leadership is something that is not, you're not born with it, you have to learn it. And the best way to learn it is to pick up leadership skills from different people and to go through the different cycles and iterations of what it means. So I like that whole working up thing. And the best leaders to me are actually people who listen. If you find yourself talking more than you're listening, you're not a good leader. Because for me, leaders are people who take everything that they've heard and implement something. You know what I mean? Like, you have to be able just to listen. And all the time, I don't know if you guys have ever been involved in a faculty search or a dean search or things like that. One of my favorite questions to ask people who are coming to a campus is, what will you do in the first six months that you're here? If they start to rattle off all of the things that they're going to dismantle and implement, does, I mean, in my head, I'm like, mm -hmm, we don't want that. You want someone who will basically say, I will go on a listening tour, and I will hear things from students, from faculty, from people in administration, and then a year from now, I will see what I will do. So for me, as someone who values leadership and who has been in leadership positions, my biggest thing to do is to listen and to see what is needed and what gaps can I fill after I'm listening to what people have said. Thank you. Um, so with leadership, there's a ton of tools that add to you know being so toolbox. Definitely a big toolbox. And being a millennial, millennial, uh, we have access to a ton of technology that we didn't have back in the day. Um, I remember a little flip phone where you had to text. We didn't have no people. So, yeah, yeah. I had a two-way thing. Oh, yeah. True. <laughs> they don't know what it is. Oh, yeah. my God. Okay. Uh, really? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, how do you feel that technology is helping and, on the flip side, hurting public uh, leaders? Ooh, okay, so I think technology helps because this is the Google you know, generation. Literally, if I have a question, I can always Google it. And I think that that's the beauty of everything. Um, I think technology hurts because we are also in the Instagram generation. And what I mean by that is we take moments in time and think that's what it is. And that's not true. So technology can help you because it's uh, your easiest tool, right? You have it at your possession, you always have a phone on you, you have your computer. So technology can serve as a way for you to learn things quicker than most. It's a tutorial for everything. I literally learned how to code by watching a Google video. I have no idea how to do it in computers, but that's what technology gave me. But with the Instagram generation and social media generation, it gives a fake perception of reality. And I think that you have to be able to do that delicate dance. You know, technology is a tool, but don't think everything which you see on those social media platforms as face value. Um, so on top of the stuff you see on social media, um, you deal with like a lot of heavy topics. Yeah. Like the base of people that willingly choose ignorance um, when there's facts on a regular basis. And that's on top of you being a black woman. How do you deal with that fatigue? It's heavy. And some days it's heavier than others. Um, some days I'll get off the TV 
always tell the story. So I'm usually on Fox News, I was on there last night. And the moment my name comes up or I come up on the stream, my phone starts vibrating. And I'm like, dude, I haven't even opened my mouth yet. But you see, I'm a black woman, and it's already like, you dumb, you don't know, like, can I open my mouth? So there is a lot of fatigue that comes with it because you get assaulted sometimes, not even for your dance, but simply because of what you look like. And that's hard. And I have some colleagues in the media industry who have said, I refuse to do certain segments because they know what comes with it. And so it is a decision I have made because at the end of the day, I don't need to convince people who look like me about what our everyday struggle is. We know what our everyday struggle is. My goal in life is to talk to people who have never met someone who looks like me, who have never met someone who comes from my background, and say, wow, you know, I may not agree with what you said, but you made me look at X, Y, and Z situation differently. And that's my goal. And so the fatigue is very heavy, especially with social media when they have access to you. I receive like, I literally receive death threats at my job. Um, I get letters all the time. Um, and it's not just through social media, it's like people sending things to your place of employment. But unfortunately, this is what comes with our society. And that's why I always talk on social media. Sometimes when I say, oh, she's on TV, this is so great. Yeah, but it also comes with being called the N-word every single day, being called the B-word all the time, um, being told to go back to your country because I have a foreign last name. There are things that come with this, but I spoke about my sons earlier. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and my goal is to leave this world better for them than the world that I came into. And if that takes the sacrifices of being called names, then, you know, it is what it is. But I, I have a clear goal, and I will not be deterred from that. So, son, it's cool. So, we have a question. Yes. So, yes. you said you like trap music. Yeah. Right. So, when you're down and out, you don't want to deal with anyone, with anyone else at all. Uh -huh. Sometimes music inspires you and makes you feel good again. Uh -huh. What's the one song that you turn to to be to get get that motivation, get back your toes? To get that motivation, get back my toes. What is like my one song? Okay, so. I love Gucci Man. <laughs> Why y'all laughing? Family, right? Like, I love Gucci. I really, really do. Um, but my song, uh, my favorite song right now is Migos and Gucci Slipper. That is my like just the instrumental. What?
take the start by here from the point I feel like that stigma exists because it is part of the plantation mentality. It is the way for them to say, stay in your place. The moment you speak up, you are not fighting for yourself, you're not fighting for your brother, you're not fighting for your sisters, you are angry for no reason. And that is their way of saying, shut up. The same way they say that to Colin Kaepernick. We're not getting into that, but I'm gonna say it. Colin Kaepernick, the reason why they're saying you should not kneel is because he is speaking up. The moment you speak up, they will do things to try to make it such that your voice should be silenced. Back in the day, people who looked like you, if they spoke up, they would be lynched. They would be killed. And not only would they be lynched, they would be lynched and left hanging from other people who look like them to say, if you speak up, you too will end up like them. So when you tell me I'm an angry black woman, what you're really telling me is I'm a strong black woman, and I'm making a point. <laughs> <laughs> point that can influence a crowd, because if you silence me, you know that that message will not go out. So call me an angry black woman if you want to, what you're doing is you are telling me that what I'm doing is going perfectly fine. All right, all right, all right. Thank you for tuning in to this very special episode. The Real Talk Session Series truly appreciates your support. Um, we cannot do this without y'all. Uh, just for people who are new to uh, this platform, the Real Talk Session Series is a community-focused media organization that produces edutainment that's a combination of education and entertainment that is meant to empower black communities across this nation. And one of the ways we do that is through this podcast, you know, just dropping knowledge and information that people need to really take their next lives to the next level for free. You know what I mean? Because that's what we do out here. So please make sure you are sharing the Miseducation of the People podcast, rating, reviewing five star, and make sure you subscribe. Definitely, you know. Um, that's the way we grow. And we do have some surprise content coming out. You know, if you're not familiar with us, get with it. Make sure you check out our YouTube page because it is within the show notes. But uh, we have some surprise content dropping next week. Um, 2020, we have done a lot, but I'm very excited for, you know, what's in store for 2021. Of course, we got new Juju Bay videos, you know, because we got to get out here and really put our people into our history when it comes to African traditional religions. You know what I mean? And Juju's breaking it down because, you know, everything is ingrained within our black American experience. You know what I mean? Be on the lookout January 2021. We're dropping a special men's mental health awareness video series in collaboration with the Quintessential Gentleman platform. You know, super excited about this one um, because as a mental health advocate, um, I especially want to make sure I'm helping out my brothers out here who are suffering in silence. Um, also, I'm working on something very special to help out our black youth because they're going through it a lot and studies are showing that, you know, um, suicide rates are increasing, mental health rates are increasing also. So, you know, it's time to really help the babies out because oftentimes they are overlooked um, because of ageism. You know, they're young. People think that they don't know real struggle, but, you know, we don't know what they're going through. So, you know, more so just being able to advocate for them, be a voice for them and to really help them through this period especially during the pandemic. So, you know, 
um, just out here trying to make a change. Um, I thought I kind of went off on a tangent, but you know, when you're living in your purpose, um, it's easy to really get passionate about and just go on a tangent, my fault, you know, and it is very personal to me because of the fact that I have lived experience with, you know, depression and anxiety and one point uh, thinking about suicide. But, you know, we take those stories and we help other people out. You cannot have a testimonial without tests. So, you know, that's all I'm doing right now. But, you know, um, we also have some fire, fire merch. You know what I mean? Currently, we have the Don't Let These Degree Fool You hoodies out right now. Don't let these degrees fool you. They don't know nothing. Don't let these degrees fool you. You can catch these hands. Don't let these degrees fool you. They don't make you better than anyone else. You know, it's really whatever you want it to mean. So, you know, you don't need a degree to rock this hoodie. You know what I mean? Plus, we have some dope new designs. You know what I mean? Got another hoodie coming out very soon. Very soon. You know what I mean? And beanies of different flavors. You know what I mean? Because I told y'all we're going to come out here with different styles on y'all. And as always, we have free shipping on all orders. Plus, the proceeds are investments to our mission of providing empowering educational content to help advance communities across this nation. Everything that the Real Talk Session Series does is self-funded, and we have some very big stuff planned for the future. And, you know, the only way for us to really make things pop and to provide many opportunities for black creatives and to really highlight great services and organizations, individuals, et cetera, across this nation is to really, you know, be assisted with some financial, you know what I mean, support. Uh, we do it from the heart, but, you know, we can always do more and we can provide opportunities for the youth and everybody, you know, to really help spread our impact and to provide opportunity for many people and to get this education out here. Because, you know, uh, it's hard to find quality education and necessarily it's not always um, easy for everyone to access. So that's what we're doing out here, providing free educational resources to help our people, you know what I mean? Also, we do have a free merch giveaway coming out very soon for our new hoodie design and those beanies. So, you know, we, we give to the people, you know, like ODB said, real talk is for the people. I mean, real talk is for the kids. We out here, I mean, um, and make sure you are following us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube at Real Talk Session Series. So you do not miss that announcement for the merch giveaway. And of course, talk to us. Let us know your thoughts. You know what I mean, make sure if you're on the chatty chatty, a.k.a. Clubhouse to follow me at Real Talk Only. All right. Back to the episode. Thank you so much for the support. And we hope you have a great holiday season. So you've developed a way to cope with it. So can you offer any advice to the young woman that may be dealing with it now and will in the future? Absolutely. You know, I think one thing I have been very mindful of whenever I'm on TV is my delivery. We always have heard the adage when it comes to black and brown people, you have to be twice as good, twice as smart to get high. So, even though I have other commentators who can go on TV and who, you know, yell and scream, that's usually not my approach. Because if they already think you're an angry black woman just by your mere existence, imagine what happens when you start yelling and screaming. So to my younger sisters, I will say, be mindful of your delivery. You want people to hear your message, not necessarily hear your voice. I will repeat that because there's a difference. You want people to hear your message, but not your voice. Your message should be louder than your voice. And keep that in mind. And don't be afraid when you are silent. Be encouraged. Because if your delivery is okay, 
you're not yelling, you're not screaming, you're articulating yourself in a respectful manner, then there's no reason why you should be silenced. So keep on going and know that all those who came before you had to deal with the same thing. If Michelle Obama is concerned with an angry black woman, then who am I to be offended when someone calls me an angry black woman? When she is the most educated first lady who has ever resided at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. So you guys do not be disturbed. Your voice is beautiful, but your message is even better. We were not addressing the issue. 
So here you are, a professor, walking into a classroom, teaching your design lesson plan the day after Eric Garner just got killed, as if nothing ever happened. Like, there are students in your class who look just like Eric Garner. You're not going to address it? And that sparked something in me because I, I'm that mom. My son is four, my other son is two. I will call the teacher and be like, excuse me, what is this? You know? Like, what is happening? And so I was like, I can't even imagine if something happened to this world and my son said, yeah, you know, my teacher just went about the day teaching the class that was regular. A few months later, we had Charleston, where Dylan Roof went to a church and shot up the church because the people in the church were black. And then when they arrested him, they didn't take him straight to jail. They stopped at Burger King and got him a Whopper and fries. But he just killed somebody. He killed nine somebody. So what message are we sending as an institution if we just go about our days when things like this happen in communities of students that look just like these victims. So I said, I'm going to start the 1954 equity project because I refuse to allow another day to go by where my students don't feel like they're safe in an institution that they paid money to go to. That doesn't make any sense. So the 1954 equity project, in essence, brings together students and also faculty members to have brave conversations about what's going on on campus. How do you feel? How do you feel the day after Donald Trump got elected? What does that make you feel like? I know for me, the day after the election, when I went to my office, I came to my classroom, put my stuff down, and I said, yeah, what we're going to talk about is not anything about these readings. We're going to talk about what's happening in our country and how that makes you feel. And the beauty of that is there were some people in the class who said, yeah, I voted for and this is why. And some people say, I didn't vote for him, and this is why. But having those conversations that humanize situations that happen in our society is important. That's what the 1954 Equity Project does. We're not just going to walk around like black and brown men and not being targeted. No, not in my classroom. No, we're going to have that conversation. We're going to have the conversation. If you don't look like these people who are being killed, how do you become an ally? Because that's what's also important. I'll tell you guys this. We're not going to fix issues of race if every black person and every brown person comes together and says, we're going to fix this. No. If you don't have allies in other races, this fight is over. When Martin Luther King walked across and then had his bridge, he didn't walk across that bridge with all black people. There were rabbis with him. There were Asians, but there was, it was a movement. And that's what the 1954 Equity Project is. It's a movement. It's saying, let's all come together, students, administrators, everyone. Let's have this conversation and see how we can do our part in fixing this. Because I don't think we have enough brave conversations. Everyone wants a sugar coat. And earlier you said, you know, the elephant in the room at FDU is race. No. The elephant in this country is race. No one wants to talk about race. You think if you talk about race, the world will come to an end. No, let's talk about race. Let's talk about what makes us different, but let's also talk about what makes us 
and they don't even know any other race that's impacted their life because you can't even pretend you're playing with a gun because you don't have the same life as your white friends. And that's sad. But I need to have those conversations with my white friends so they can know this is what we mean when we say race plays into every aspect of our lives. Hi. Um, how would you say that race influences the classroom environment? So I think race influences the classroom environment in a good way because I love to have conversations. My teaching style is like, let's all just talk. And I think race influences the classroom dynamic because you get to learn from your fellow classmates like different ways in which they interact. Again, I'm Nigerian. Some of my upbringing is different. That's not, Nigerian is not a race, but you know what I mean? That's a culture. But my upbringing has changed the way I view things, and it's important for people to know that conversation. I like diverse classrooms because I want all of us to learn from each other. But one thing I want to touch upon about that is it's not always about diversity. And that's why I think higher education gets it wrong. Diversity, diversity, we want diversity. It's not about checking all check marks to say, hey, we have one black person here and we have two Mexicans here. No, it's not about that. It's about creating an uh, environment that is inclusive. You have all of these people on your campus, but do they feel like they're at home? That
Mira, I may be saying her name wrong, but she's one of the people who organized the Women's March. And so, me and her were talking, and then a few days later, she got dragged, dragged off of American Airlines for no reason, and the NAACP issued like this warning about don't fly there. But the reason why I say that is I love the response that happened after that incident. You saw a wave of black men just swarming to protect her. And I think we have to do a better job of that. And I think why after Sandra Land was killed, I believe she was killed, the hashtag for her was say her name. Because that matters. It's not just the Trayvons, the Eric Gardner, it's out in Baltimore when Freddie Gray died. Like I, I witnessed the Baltimore uprising through my own eyes. It's not just them. There are women who get killed all the time. And we have to do a better job of me as a journalist and as a commentator, I always try to infuse a woman's perspective when I'm talking because it's not just these names that we know, it's also other names that have been a part of this movement as well. So that's a great question. I think it's something that we're missing, something we need to continue work on. You got time for one more question. Okay, we do two more because we see. Again, 
Like, if I'm looking for you, I don't want to have to find Chocolate Deluxe one, two, three. <laughs> no. So it's one deal simple. And if you guys send me a message, I'll take maybe the first 20, and I'll follow y'all back. This extra credit episode was proudly edited and produced by the Real Talk Session Series, where all we do is provide that Real Talk only. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. It's an education.